There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Before we start with this episode of Bench with Bubba, a couple things. we got one or two more spots left in the Listener League. If you're interested, please give a rating review on iTunes. Or heck, just give a rating review on iTunes. It would help me out a ton. The more rating reviews the better and more people the podcast can uh, can reach. And I'd really, really appreciate that. Also, go check out the Fantasy Black Book. Uh, great way to do your fantasy baseball draft press. Joe Pisapia, the 10th year of the Fantasy Black Book. I covered catchers and relief pitchers, and there's tons of great work, tons of great writers in there. And right now, if you buy it on Amazon or iTunes, proceeds part of the proceeds go to the St. Jude's Children's Hospital. So go check that out, Fantasy Black Book, to get you ready for the baseball season. But for now... We have a great podcast, episode 246, with draft cheat Pete Christensen uh, talking about some you know strategy, players, so much more. So I hope you guys enjoy the show, and we'll catch you guys later. back everybody to another episode of bench with bubba episode 246 got a special guest on tap today to talk some more fantasy baseball strategy player news all that good stuff you can find him on twitter at draft cheat peter christensen pete how we doing man i'm doing well getting uh getting ready for baseball season certainly excited in this last uh, month or so before the the year begins and big fan of your podcast and Checking out most of the position player previews with you and Batflip; those are awesome. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. No, thanks for thanks for uh, listening to those. Thanks for joining me. Uh, it was funny because I've followed you for a long time because I I am a a very sarcastic person, and I, I love your persona on Twitter. And I believe it's not just a persona because I believe you are a sarcastic person as well, and you like to have fun with things. And um, I, I appreciate what you do. I just wanted to say it on the air because. You tweet a lot of things I think and want to tweet, but I don't have the cojones to tweet. Um, so <laughs> I just want to say it. It's you're, you're doing uh, 
yeoman's work there. I, was I, I, I think there's a varying <laughs> opinions on my my Twitter game. I'll say that much. Oh, I love it. it. It's funny. That's why I even asked, like when you when you asked, uh, hey, you need anybody on the show? And I thought you were messing with me. So I just I, thought I, I it was funny. That. You thought I was like trolling you in the DMs, which I typically, you know, uh, keep the trolling to to the masses. But uh, I can't say I haven't done it before to a few people. Yeah, when uh, when when right after you messaged me, Vlad, who I, Vlad's a good friend of yours, and mine, and he's like, "Hey, you need to have him on the show." I said, "Perfect, we're good." So uh, yeah, let's let's do it. We'll talk about some recent news here first. And one, it's like you hear the name Jared Dyson, and most people go, "Okay, super deep leagues, whatever." But there's a chance he's actually going to be starting every day, leading off for the Pirates. I know it's still not pretty at all, but what's your take on him? Because he is fantasy relevant, kind of. He is, you know, and. Especially, I mean, in a points league, I don't think you would uh, you would ever consider him. I will say, just at the top, most of my analysis, my opinions, is going to be based around five by five roto leagues. Um, I typically play in the NFBC, uh, kind of some high stakes stuff over there. So most of what I say will be kind of geared toward that type of game type, just to get that out of the way first. But yeah, back to back to Jared Dyson. You know, steals are just such a a rare commodity in, in fantasy baseball these days that a player like Dyson who can provide them in bunches, you can't just completely overlook him, right? I kind of compare him a little bit to, to Malik Smith, a guy going, I don't know, around what, pick 150, something like that right now, where really the only thing they're going to provide you with steals. And I, I don't typically like to invest in players who are like purely one category guys, because they're going to hurt you as much elsewhere as they're going to help you in steals. But you know, if you're going to give Jared Dyson everyday playing time, I actually think he's a little bit better hitter than Malik Smith is. And he's still going super, super cheap. I mean, I did a draft uh, last night, 12-teamer, um, you know, 30 rounds, so fairly deep on the NFBC. And I don't think he was even drafted. So you still can acquire him cheap. And, you know, if he's going to get an everyday role with the Pirates, who they're obviously kind of in rebuilding mode, and I could see them potentially trading even more pieces, Um and yeah, maybe he's you know a guy to just kind of provide some excitement with his speed on the base pass. The Malik Smith comparison is a very good one because you know we always think you know all he does is run and he does a few other things, but not much. Like, but he's got an everyday path to playing time until he screws it up again. Where where Dyson never really did. You look at his you know his Fangraphs page since 2012, he has 26 or more steals in all but one season, which is outstanding for the amount of time he plays. He's only played over 120 games twice in that stretch. So he's taking advantage of this and just running with it literally and figuratively. So it is pretty impressive what he does. And, and right now being drafted around 357, like you said, that's in the last month online uh, NFBC tournaments. And he's gone as high as 285, which I'm assuming is probably like the last week or two. Uh, so I, I wouldn't be shocked. Out of curiosity, because you were talking Malik Smith, and I'll, I'll check this real quick. Um, he's going at pick 140. So we're talking like – over 200 pick difference. I'm not thinking Dyson's going to go to 140. Where would you think, you know, come main event time in March, you're a, you're a high stakes guy. Where do you think a guy like Dyson goes? It'll depend a ton on spring on if it appears that he's going to get a starting role. If he, if he is, I could see him pushing toward pick 200, right? He's much older than Malik Smith. Like I, he's still, you know, Dyson's stolen base efficiency and all that stuff has still been pretty good. And you'd think on the Pirates, they would let him run. Um, so, yeah, maybe pick 200, which if it looks like he has an everyday role and, you know, you're at that point in the draft and you're, you're short on speed, I, I certainly wouldn't mind it. 
Um, you know, one problem with a guy like Dyson in a, in a league format like the NFBC where you've got to make, you know, you can make two moves. You set your roster on, on Monday and then on, you can reset your hitters at least on Friday. Like one problem is, is he ever going to be, if he doesn't have a full-time role, it's oftentimes hard to start him um, because you don't know if he's going to be in the starting lineup all week or all weekend. Um, and you don't want to start a guy, right, that's only going to play one one game or whatever. Um, so oftentimes players like like Dyson like that and even some closers now where it's like, yeah, you can project a guy for 12 saves, but if you don't know when they're going to come, mm-hmm. they might not be in your lineup when they happen. So I would be a little bit concerned about with, with that for a guy like Dyson too. That, that's a good point. We'll have to kind of monitor spring because, you know, you know, roster resource hasn't leading off, but it's the Pirates. You mentioned his age. They have some youth in the minors that people actually thought might have got the chance before they signed Dyson. So there could be a lot of moving parts throughout the year in Pittsburgh. So where you, where you draft them at, you might not get the value you're hoping for. You still might get the steals, but it's tricky. Right. Uh, hitting, hitting on your relief pitcher point, because like you said, in NFBCs, it's biweekly offense, but pitchers once a week. That's all you got. So with this new rule, love it or hate it, whatever the the decision is there, where you have to face at least three batters an inning unless you end the inning type thing, I've heard some really smart people bring up the concept that we might see a more of like a race format where this this outing, uh, you know, there's two lefties coming up. A lefty might get the save compared to your normal guy. So you might have three or four guys getting a handful of saves. And you bring up a good point, like how do you risk – you know, having a guy go out there taking a roster spot, and for all you know, he might not even get a save all week. How would you approach that in the NFPC? Do you go more aggressive now on saves for these guys that are kind of locked in, or do you kind of maybe try to fill up more and I don't know, play the gamble? Um, yeah, it's I like the the top guys, right? The first eight or ten closers who uh, not only are they more or less locked into their roles at least to start the year. Um, but they're also good pitchers. I know some people subscribe to the theory, you know, saves have no name, uh, which is certainly true. But um, like the, the the bad closers on bad teams, I'm not drafting those guys, right? Like we don't know who the Seattle cor- uh, closer is going to be. Whoever it is, he's not probably going to be a very good pitcher. He's not going to get very many save opportunities. And like you mentioned, you have to factor in the opportunity cost of who else could be starting for you in your lineup at that pitcher position. Yeah, that's why it's a fun debate each year as we've seen bullpens develop into not like there's roles, but they're not as, you know, hard and fast as they used to be. So just the common sense of, hey, there's like 20 guys that we know are going to get, you know, 25, 30 plus saves. Those days have slowly started to change. So it's, yeah. it's getting real interesting. And like you talked about with your high stakes in FBC that have the overall titles, you can't just punt saves. You have to do well there. So it makes it very interesting. Yeah, for uh, sure. Let's talk about a, a piece of the trade, the big trade that happened recently, Red Sox, Dodgers. Alex Verdugo, everyone was pumped when he was going to Boston because they expected playing time to open up. But since you know the last week or so, we found out that his back injury that ended his uh, 2019 still heavily lingering on. Questions about how when he'll be ready. They go and sign Kevin Pillar who I was actually surprised only got a minor league deal. Like, I don't think he gets, should get paid a ton, but I was surprised by that. How does that factor into you now looking at Verdugo and maybe even Pilar in, in, a, in a deeper league? Yeah, I'm a little bit torn on, on Verdugo, at least for now, until we get more information on this back injury. Obviously cut his season short last year. What was that, in, in August, July or August? Yeah. Um, I mean, 
you know, we're like seven months later now or something, and he's still unable to play baseball. It's pretty concerning. Uh, I was, you know, my concerns over Verdugo, whose skill set I really do like. I think he can be a really good hitter, good young hitter. Um, I kind of thought when the, you know, when the Red Sox, or yeah, when the Red Sox were willing to make him the centerpiece of a Mookie Betts trade that, he must have been that they figured he was good to go, right? That he would be mm-hmm. a full go in spring training. He'd be their opening day, everyday outfielder. Um, but now, maybe not. So unless we get good news on Verdugo, kind of a stay away for me. I, I typically don't draft uh, a lot of injured players if I can avoid it. You get the seven bench spots in the NFBC, and you know we'll talk about kind of fab strategy later. But I, I'm a big believer that every spot on your bench should be have a very specific purpose and maybe one or two of those spots you can have kind of waiting for you know non-injured stars to come back uh and I don't want to start the year with with one of those guys on my bench so unless we hear something positive for Verdugo unless we see him on the field unless we get a you know a confirmed uh like date when he's gonna be back or whatever uh probably an avoid for me even around pick what 200 250 where he's going right now yeah the last month he's going about pick 222 and you know if i knew he was healthy that would be pretty cool but um you know i'm with you i'm I'm a guy that prefers unless it's like a really weird circumstance there's gonna be enough injuries during the season i'd rather not go into the season with an injured player type thing so yeah um, i think think that's the 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 proper approach to it yeah it's, it's very tricky there and and not to mention back injuries that just linger and you hit it seven months now and he's still not playing it makes you wonder the the red Sox brass was all over uh gratterall's medicals but somehow they missed verdugo's along the way or something i have no idea it's a a weird situation going on with the boston front office right now for sure yeah big love hate relationship there uh you you mentioned uh, i mentioned kevin pilar also and the only reason why is i at first i thought when they acquired verdugo assuming he play every day but we know how the dodgers platoon verdugo quite a bit do you have any concern that if Verdugo is healthy, Pilar cuts into that also? I think it could happen. I think Pilar would play – I think they would platoon Jackie Bradley in center field with That's Pilar. I think that point. would be his primary role. Uh, Bradley's obviously had his offensive struggles over the years, can't really hit lefties too well, um, and Pilar hits lefties much better. So that would be the more natural platoon partnership for me, at least from the way I see it. Um and I don't know. I mean, the the Red Sox are just doing such weird stuff right now, you know, not apparently being aware of, of these medical histories of players or whatever, that maybe I'm read or giving them too much credit. But you would think that a, you know, a 23-year-old Verdugo who, is, Verdugo, who is the centerpiece of the Betts trade, if he is performing, I think they would want him out there every day, right? Just yeah. to, to almost, if nothing, like ease the angst of the fans. And also, Verdugo actually hit lefties pretty damn well last year, so... I think if he's healthy, he'll play every day. I just we just don't know about the health right now. That's a very good point. Um, this news broke this morning on Friday morning, and it was a a gut punch because I was a big Mike Clevenger fan, and you know it was already bad enough last year when he got hurt and kind of cut things short. Well, now he hurts his knee, meniscus tear, had to have surgery. There's no timetable. I know it's usually like a month to month and a half thing if everything goes right, but you have to imagine he's not going to be throwing a ton during that period either. So this drops him drastically. It kind of goes back to our conversation about, you know, injured guys going into the season. The difference here, I, I kind of think is somewhat unique because it's nothing to do with his arm. So, but it's his plant leg. 
What's your thoughts on this Clevenger injury? Because he was once a top, you know, seven, eight, top 10 fantasy starter going to draft season. Yeah, uh, I've done a lot of drafts so far, 14 NFBC drafts uh, so far and a lot more to come. And I'm fortunate right now not to actually have any Clevenger at all. Uh, I do actually really like his skill set. I think he's a, a, a very good pitcher on a per inning basis, but just the, the violent delivery, the back injury last year, um, I had him, you know, I did my own projections and I had him ranked below Shane Bieber. So anytime, you know, pick around pick 20 or whatever it is, when you would maybe be choosing between the two, I was, I've, I've got a whole bunch of Bieber and, and no Clevenger. So pretty fortunate from my own end on that. Um, we'll see how far he drops, right? He's definitely going to drop considerably in, uh, in high stakes drafts. There's no doubt about it. I could see him draft, you know, falling maybe to the, for sure, the third round, maybe the fourth depending on what kind of news we get. I might take a shot on him at, at that point, because we did see him return from that, that serious back injury last year, struggled his first couple starts, but then was dominant down the stretch. So he's kind of shown he can, can overcome this. A meniscus injury, like you said, on the plant leg, not great, but I, I would expect him to get over this, you know, maybe a month into the season and probably be just fine going forward. Cause it does seem like somewhat of a fluky injury. So uh, if he falls far enough, yeah, I'll, I'll buy in on some Mike Clevenger. Yeah, I'm with you there. That's why I want to preface talking Verdugo. Like, specific injuries, it's different. And when he caught Clevenger, when it's not messing with the wing, I, I, I'm good with that. Uh, yep. Right now, right now he's a sixth guy off the board, pitcher, sixth pitcher off the board, pick 20. So if we're talking round four or five, give or take, he's going around guys like Aaron Nola, Chris Paddock, Kershaw. I know you love Darvish. I don't fault you there. But um, it's Luis Severino who's coming off an injury. So he's in at least a questionable grouping there where I, I don't know if I'd mind, you know, even if you miss a month of Clevenger, it's still five months. It's probably 26, 27 starts, give or take. He can put together some solid numbers in that span. Yeah, absolutely. So. And, uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm drafting Clevenger, if he falls to the fourth, fifth round, whatever, um, then that's going to be like the guy that is kind of like the designated guy in my roster that I'm going to carry that I know I'm going to carry for that first month or however long it takes. Right. Cause if you, if you draft Clevenger, you're not dropping him. You're unless, you know, obviously something else happens. So, you know, you're carrying him. And at that point uh, I wouldn't draft say uh, maybe like a, a Dylan Carlson, who I really like Cardinals outfielder, who I think has got a chance to, to make the opening day roster, but might not. Like I wouldn't want to pair Clevenger with a, a minor league or a Clevin, uh, a Dylan Carlson, a Nick Madrigal, some, some youngsters that I'm very high on, but, you can only carry so many guys not active on your roster. So you got to be kind of careful and plan that out if you can. It's a good point you make because you mentioned seven NFBC bench spots. You're churning and burning. Some of the best in the industry like yourself, you bring that up a lot. You, you have to be willing to drop and add guys as they come on or you're going to be kind of left in the dust with all these, especially in this era of baseball where you see these guys come out of nowhere and have huge seasons. And if you don't have the chance to grab them, you're pretty much screwed. And if you're being very, uh, you know, fickle with your bench players, you're in trouble there. So it, it's good that you mentioned the Clevenger part and then you don't take the risk later. Say you stay on the straight and narrow and you're not going Clevenger early and you're going pretty solid, confident in your starting. Guys, when you're building your roster, you mentioned you have one spot of wiggle room. Now, Madrigal is a popular name. Carlson, some of these young guys. Do you forever foresee yourself taking maybe two of these guys, three of these guys? Or is it always – you make a point like one guy you're okay holding on to. Otherwise you really want that flexibility. Yeah, maybe, maybe two at most. Um, but like you mentioned with the seven bench spots, 
uh, I mean, if you're drafting now, you know, more than a month to go before the season, like I'm doing, you're going to get probably at least one of your, you know, quote unquote stars, top, you know, 10, 12 round picks hurt that you are going to need to carry, right? You're not going to want to drop that player, assuming it's a fairly minor injury, at least. Um, I like to have one of those seven spots to speculate on closers. Um, usually like a, you know, potentially like a week or two before they become a closer, just looking at, you know, which guys are struggling, which talented relievers could become a closer soon. And then I kind of every week reevaluate that bench spot if I can and pick up who I I think is the most likely to become the next closer, who is also a good pitcher. Um, And then you've got, you know, maybe one or two kind of minor league guys that you're waiting on. So they're valuable spots. And like you mentioned, uh, churn and burn something I very much subscribe to, you know, in in a 12 team NFBC league on each of my teams, you know, it's between like, two and five guys that I'm cutting every week um, typically. So yeah, guys are coming in and off my rosters pretty quickly. I really hope people heard that that really last part there. You're churning two to five guys a week. I, there's so many beginners or even experts that will sit there and hold guys forever. Yeah, so the it's, fact a, it's, a huge, it's a huge league of, of, uh, of non-successful players, I would say. Yeah, but that, that, yeah, that is very, very true. So that's why it's good to, to, to hear someone like yourself say that, like, don't be scared to be churning and burning. That's why you, you, you listen to shows that do fab recaps and other things that talk about, you know, I put bids in on like 25 guys because in reality, <laughs> you might only get two of them. So you got to be willing to make those chances. Um when you're talking about, you know, the, the relievers, you mentioned pitchers and other deals. Are you a believer when you're drafting? I, I saw the – I was a little bit of a part of the conversation. I backed out just to see how you guys would interact. Toby loves pocket aces. I am not a big pocket ace guy. I like getting maybe one early, but I'm more of a mid-round guy. I like to live in that world. We share a lot of that similarity of we'd rather take the gamble on a pitcher becoming better because it's harder for a hitter to come better. 100% agree with you there. When you're drafting like that, do you almost purposely leave roster spots to stream starting pitchers or is that more as the season goes on thing? No, definitely. Um, typically a lot of my final round picks, maybe not even final round, but you know, you get to of a 30 round draft, maybe picks like 15 to 23. I'm kind of loading up on some, you know, back end starting pitcher types. Oftentimes, this is going to sound weird, but they'll have like a good matchup like on week one, you know, mm-hmm. like their first start is like, oh, I'm going to use like, like Jordan Lyles. I think he's going to open up in Seattle, uh, which is I mean, Seattle's offense is just future. <laughs> it's a great park to pitch in. I'll use them and maybe I'll keep them after that. Maybe I won't, you know, it depends on how he looks, how he performs, who's available, all that. Uh, but yeah. So like for me, you know, I've been doing these, these higher stakes leagues for a couple of years now. Um, and there's always a lot of pitchers, specifically in 12-team leagues, that I kind of want to pick up, I kind of want to speculate on, two-start pitchers. And if you spend too much draft capital, too many high picks on early-round starting pitchers, you can't really do that, right, because you can't cut those guys. Um, and so you kind of just got to run them out there every week, regardless of matchup. And so I prefer to spend that early draft capital as much as I can on stud hitters and then have – kind of a rotating carousel of, of, of pitchers that can break out. Like last year I was able to get 
I was, you know, able to identify Lucas Giolito super early on that he had changed a whole bunch. Ended up with him on my main event on almost all my teams, uh, you know, and carried me to a, a pretty good season. So there's going to be pitchers like that every year. Of course, there's hitters too, but I find myself more able to identify the breakout pitchers early on uh, to play matchups. I play a lot of daily fantasy sports too. So certainly uh, kind of well-versed in identifying, you know, the matchups uh, for pitchers. And yeah, I, I find myself having more success streaming pitchers than I do hitters. You mentioned you, uh, the, the late pick thing. I, I was talking to guys in the barf draft recently going after, you know, hitters starting out the first week in Coors and just dropping them, stuff like that. So there's a lot to be said about that. When you mentioned you kind of look into pitchers and you find ways to get them before they break out over hitters, you mentioned before jumping on relievers a couple weeks earlier because they might have the job. When you're doing all this in-season stuff, and we'll get back to the before-the-season stuff, but what kind of research tools? There's so many websites. Everyone's got what they like, and one thing I tell listeners is find what works for you and roll with it. But I wanted to hear, like, what do you use to kind of get the info you need to make your decisions? Yeah, so, I mean, I have my own whole, like, uh, pitcher rating system um, that basically, you know, is just a, a formula, a custom formula uh, that has just a whole bunch of inputs. Obviously, all the, the stat cast metrics, uh, swinging strike percentage, called strike percentage, hard contact soft. I mean, you know, a, a billion things. Like, obviously, not going to give out the entire formula. But it, so I, I run that after every day of baseball. And sometimes you're going to see a, a pitcher, you know, a poorly regarded pitcher pop up to near the top, right? So basically every year, like if you look at the end of the year from the formula, like it doesn't, it doesn't take into account at all ERA or any like traditional fantasy stats. It's all kind of the components, component parts that make up a good pitcher. But at the end of the year, you know, it's going to be all the studs are at the top, right? For years and years, Clayton Kershaw, by my system, rated out as the top pitcher. Uh, Max Scherzer, of course, like all, all the studs are up there. But sometimes a pitcher that you wouldn't expect uh, rates highly in that system after a certain start. So at that point, you know, I'm digging into them. And I'm like, have they changed something? Has their release point changed? Have they picked up a new pitch? Uh, has their spin rate or even pitch mix, you know, are they using a their changeup more often or an effective slider more often than they have in the past? And so. Every day I'm trying to, I do this for hitters too, but I'm better at it with pitchers. I'm trying to identify a pitcher who could potentially be a breakout candidate and then uh, and pick them up before even, you know, it can be one start. For instance, we saw last year, uh, Frankie Montas, right? He, he got that new splitter that propelled him to a pretty awesome first half before he was suspended. Took one start for me to see that, right? It's like, oh, mm-hmm. look at his pitch mix from last year. Now he's got a brand new splitter. I'm in. And so you pick him up and uh, and he certainly rewarded you. You mentioned uh, pitch mixes, new pitches. And I think that's a huge thing. And that's one thing a, a lot of us that certain pitchers we might talk about later on this show or just in general, things we saw in the second half, a lot of it was pitch mix changes. And those are huge. And it's a matter of carrying it over. And that comes to spring training. And you mentioned Montauk with a splitter. There's already reports of, you know, uh, I think Glass now is ditching the changeup for a splitter. You have Chris Paddock developing a new pitch. How much do you take spring training into account? Because that's kind of the fine line. There's certain things you can roll with. There's certain things that's coach speak. What do you believe in spring training, or do you really want to see it in the regular season? 
I mean, in this day and age, in fantasy baseball, players are good enough where you can't you can't just wait, right? True, like if you wait, true. it's going to be too late. Um, someone's going to draft them ahead of you. Someone's going to pick them up on the waiver wire or in fab before you do. Uh, so you got to be into it. Like I'm, I try not to take into account like spring training performances too much, but certainly things like a, like a pitcher developing a new pitch, specifically. Um, if, you know, my research over the past couple of years has, you know, there are certain pitchers where I'm like waiting for them to develop a new pitch. And then I think they can be effective. We're waiting for a pitcher to start throwing his super effective slider more often than his very inefficient fastball. And if you get news like that, right, if you get news that, oh, yeah, they're changing my pitch mix, they're going to focus on this pitch. And it's I kind of look into it or I had a pre-existing opinion that I wanted them to do something like that. Then I'm then I'll definitely buy into something like that. No, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, definitely something there. You mentioned DFS. I play a lot of DFS. I do a DFS show five days a week as well, and I know you've done it for a long time. I always tell people I think it does help me a lot in season long because, like you hit that, you can pick up on little nuances that go throughout. Yeah. Between, it's just splits or other things. Do you think I, I kind of maybe answered the question there, but I want to get your kind of thoughts on it. Do you think DFS has made you a better season long player or do you think season longs made you a better DFS player? Uh, for sure. It's for me, it's DFS into season long. So I've only been doing season long fantasy baseball for really the last three years. Last mm-hmm. year was the first year I took it uh, super seriously and then going even harder this year. But yeah, DFS, I mean, I've been kind of there, not from the very beginning, but uh, playing DFS, uh, you know, somewhat professionally for the last I don't know, it must be six or seven years now. Um, so certainly have just learned a ton about baseball over that time. And uh, it, it's applied very quickly to to season long, specifically things like like batter splits, like you just mentioned, lefty-righty splits, where, you know, there are certain hitters who just, they can't hit lefties or they can't hit righties. You can look at the upcoming schedule, right, and say, hey, mm-hmm. Friday through Sunday, this guy who, uh, like a, I'll give one example, like a Jordan Luplo for the Indians. Like yeah, he will only play, <laughs> he will only play against lefty starters, right? Yep. But the dude just smashes them. So, you know, you get a rare instance where you get three lefty starters in a row on a weekend or even two. And, um, and that's a guy you, you pick up, you know, you're going to cut him the next Sunday, but you're going to use him just for that three day period. And, you know, over a long season of fantasy baseball, those things can matter. Those, those little edges. Like I, my philosophy is I want to win. I want to put out the best possible lineup for this week, for this coming upcoming week, basically. And that's how I approach my fab. And then I also go, I go two weeks in advance, right? So if I've got a player that I know I'm not going to use this upcoming week, I look a week ahead and I say, will I likely use them that week based on the matchups and all that. If not, if I'm not going to use that player two weeks in a row and they're healthy, Uh, I'm usually looking for kind of an upgrade somewhere on the waiver wire. When you're talking about approaching your fab, and I think the look ahead is a huge thing. And once, you know, not regular players, I guess might not be the right word, but average players or whatnot can start looking ahead more. A, you get them cheaper, which is always nice. And, and B, it just puts you ahead of the curve. Cause that means if you're planning for that, then you're also seeing other factors along the way. Uh, and, And it also makes it easier to maybe, add and drop five to two guys at a time. So you really have a better feel for your team when you're doing your, your fab bidding. Do you, it, it's such a fine art and Vlad, I mentioned his name earlier is probably one of the best I've ever seen do it. It's, mm-hmm. it's amazing the way he does it. 
how do you go about just, you know, putting your biddings together, kind of thinking about how much you're spending on guys? Obviously, you don't need to get let everybody behind the curtain, but it's such an interesting discussion because there's a lot of different ways to go about it. Yeah, so the first thing I do on each team, I, I look over the roster and the matchups for the next week, and I uh, essentially kind of make my best possible lineup based on the matchups, right? Like, it, it, like if I couldn't make any changes, here is what I would roll out there for this upcoming week. Um, and then, so that I have that. Actually, the first step before that is, is a must-cut list, right? Sometimes you have a player, you know, uh, he needs Tommy John or he tears his ACL. Uh, they're done for the year. So every team I've got a must cut. Like this this player must be off my team on Sunday. So like you said, I'm going to be bidding on the 10 best players to replace this guy that I can see, whether that be you know a long-term speculative ad or a player that I can use right now. But the, the must cut list, you know, typically that's one or two guys per week. You know they're going to leave their team. Then you have the, what I call kind of the, the could cut, right? So um, like this player is somewhat useful, but I'm not going to use them this week. And, but if there's a player, you know, on the, on the available in fab that I like, then maybe I'll, I'll put in a bit, like, maybe you can, like, you've got a catcher say they're, you know, they're performing. Okay. But you think there's a catcher on the wire. That's like a, a, a very slight upgrade to them at that point, you know, maybe you put in, uh, you know, six or $7 out of your thousand dollars to spend for the season. And if you don't get that upgrade, you're okay with it, right? You keep your current catcher. So I like to have different like columns of the priority of getting rid of those players. And then kind of, obviously you're, you're bidding the most on, um, you know, the players that you want the most, of course. Um, but if there's a player that you must cut, you know, you're going to have like seven $1 bids just to make sure that player is not on your roster when, when fab processes. And that's a very important thing. Cause there's so many times, even when I first started doing fab, I would put out my, my deals. I think I'd have, you know, three or four guys on, on one player I wanted to cut, and then I still didn't cut them, and I'm sitting there with this wasted roster spot for the yeah, entire week. Like, yeah, I mean, if, if you're playing super seriously, like those, you know, no matter how good you are, you're going to make some mistakes like that, but as the more you can limit them, the better off you're going to yes. be, of course. 100%. And, you know, last year you probably witnessed it. Palooza was wild times with like three or four – uh, prospects coming up and, and money spent for like some people blew their budget in was one it, week. Was it May, I think. Yeah, it was early too. Yeah, it was yeah, very early. So it was a long season in FBC. There's no zero dollar bids. So they were really grasping at straws the rest of the way. For a guy like yourself that wants to make, you know, you said two to five moves a week, you want to be active pretty much the whole season. How do you approach Favapalooza? Because for a guy that sounds like you want to make a lot of moves, you really can't afford to lose a lot of that budget at the same time. Yeah, I pretty much sat out. Okay. I mean, who was it? It was like Michael Chavis. It was uh, Riley. Was Riley in that. Riley Hira, uh, Mercado. Okay, so guys. a lot of them did end up panning pretty out. Obviously, Hira was was pretty, or, but Hira got sent back down. So I think yep. people that spent on him, I think a lot of them ended up dropping him, and then someone else got him for cheap when he got called up. Um, Riley was obviously awesome to start, but then kind of tanked your team if you kept him in the lineup. But, yeah, I mean, when those big ones happen, I especially early on, I'll price enforce, right? Like, Mm -hmm. just to make sure that, you know, I'm not letting Austin Riley slip by there for less than, you know, like 5% of my remaining budget. Like I'm, I'm putting something out there just, just in case everyone else in my league is super lazy and overlooks it or whatever. 
but I'm typically not, you know, like I'm not going to spend like 600 or $700 of the $1,000 um, allocated budget in like April, most likely on one player. Like I just can't envision that happening for me. Yeah. You and I have a lot in common. There. Like I, I put the keep modest bids and I think those are always good because there are some leagues where it just kind of guys slip under the radar. That was one of the, the, the most fun things is I was looking at either an FPC uh, or TGFBI or different formats to see how much guys went for in different leagues and realizing that some leagues they went so cheap. You just want to like break something because you weren't in that league. But right. um, you got to make sure like you want to put the, at least the minimum bid where you would still be, you would still be happy if that bid goes through, no matter how unlikely it is that happens. hundred uh, percent. Let's take it back to the start of the year. Now um, you, you mentioned you do your projections. You've been tweeting out a lot of good stuff about guys you like guys you don't like. And it's something we all do in the process of kind of, getting our player pool as you learn the player pool. There's like two different versions of that. You learn the whole pool, then you kind of get your pool of guys, your guys that you want to go after. What are you doing to get ready for draft season besides uh, just projections? Are you digging into all kinds of sites, articles? What what do you got going on? Yeah, so not a ton of consume. I, I do listen to uh, a lot of other podcasts. Frankly, mostly for entertainment purposes, you know, I'm <laughs> working out at the gym or I, I work from home. So I got, I got time to listen to pods. I don't do a ton of reading of other stuff because part of the reason is I, I do all my own projections. Uh, mm-hmm. So I've been doing, you know, 10 to 20 players most days, spending, you know, two to three hours a day since the beginning of December and kind of doing a deep dive on a lot of different players, uh, you know, talked about, kind of the, the, the pitch mix stuff on the pitchers. Uh, you can see some hitters just really improved in the second half. I'm trying to dig in as far as I can, you know, coming up with my own formulas and all that stuff to figure out who's real, who is not. And ultimately I do come up with, you know, a five category five by five projection for every single player. Um, and then I run that through, you know, my, my evaluation system, which is like a, a standing gains point. So like, you know, you need, uh, you know, in an NFBC league, 120 to 130 steals, you need 350 to 360 home runs. So for me, a steal is essentially worth three times what a, a home run is. That's a simplistic way to to look at it, but, you know, it's kind of the basis for it. And I have a value, you know, a value on every player, a ranking um, for each and every player at every position. Um, and then I'm trying to find out, you know, where the where the cliffs are at each position, like at first base, you know, I've got Cody Bellinger kind of a way ahead of, of the pack than like Freddie Freeman in his own tier and then another big drop. Um, so trying to kind of when I'm drafting, you know, balance out, um, trying to get the most total value on your team, if you will. Right. So I know mm-hmm. um, your, your buddy Batflip Crazy, he's he's more into drafting JT Real Muto in the, in the fourth or fifth. than I think most people, most good players are. And I do actually kind of agree with him there. Not because, you know, Real Muto is not going to give you the production of most fourth or fifth round players, but if you add up what Real Muto will give you and then what an outfielder will give you in the 10th round versus what a a different position player will give you where Real Muto is being drafted in the 10th round catcher, uh, you, for me, you get kind of more total value there. So I'm just trying to assemble for the most part, the team with the most total surplus value again. Yeah, no, that's that's the great point of the Real Muto thing. That's one thing I tell people 
I, I use that kind of comparison for a lot of different players when they want player A that they might be reaching for. I said, well, what about, you know, I, I do the flip flop like that. And it's, it's one way to break it down. That's why I always preach, know the player pool, know where yeah. those cliff, where those cliffs are like, Hey, if I don't get this player, am I still good with this player because of what I'm going to take instead type thing? So you, you have to really know a lot of that. And that's just doing mock drafts or whatever you need to do, do draft champions, best ball leagues, whatever, to get a feel for what's going on. Uh, you hinted at the the, uh, the value of a steal versus a home run. I like how you broke that down. There's also, you mentioned, you know, you need X amount of stolen bases and whatnot. Do you subscribe to the, you know, you need 80% of each category from previous years? And when you're drafting, do you keep like a log of that? Or is it just kind of something in the back of your head? I have in the past kept a log, but I found that it's like you need to make sure you're not, you know, entirely deficient in one area unless you're, you know, completely punting it, which most people will tell you you can't win an overall competition punting a category. I, you know, I've never actually done it, but from the research I've done and kind of crunching numbers, I think you could. Um, but I haven't, I haven't been trying that this year. So I, I do try to make sure I'm at least, you know, at the 40th or 50th percentile in every category, but like you can't predict exactly who's going to get hurt on your team. You can't predict, you know, where the, you know, what types of skills the guys you're going to pick up off the waiver wire are going to present to you. Um, so I do worry about it a little bit, kind of keep it in, in the back of my head, like you said, but I'm not, I'm not going crazy, right? Like I'm not going to take a player I don't like in the seventh or eighth round just because I'm short on speed. Um, I'll wait and try to try to make it up later or try to pick up some stuff off the waiver wire. Um, I'm typically drafting fairly closely to just whoever I think can be the, the most overall productive for my team. When you talk about picking things up off the waiver wire out of curiosity, what stats maybe it's during this research or in years past, what stats do you feel most comfortably picking up off the waiver wire that as you're drafting, you know, like, okay, if I'm a little short here, I'm pretty confident I'll find it here throughout the season. Yeah. I mean, steals are the one thing that you can't, you know, everybody kind of needs them. And so they typically are kind of overpriced on the waiver wire and they might not just even be available at all. Right. Like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of players in, in, in baseball that just, they just don't steal any bases. Yeah. Um, so that can be tough. I, I mean, pitching is the answer for me, right? I think I can kind of find all the pitching categories, including saves on the waiver wire. And then the hitting stuff, it's like, again, I'm, I, you know, if you get to the end of the season and you, then you're looking at your kind of categories and where you rank. But for me, for the, you know, for the first two or three months, I'm not really worried about, you know, what, where my production is coming from. I just want productive players, as many productive players in my lineup as possible. When you're you're drafting or you're getting ready for drafting, you're trying to get an idea. Like when I say use the player pool, you know roughly where guys should be going, either by your rankings, by other rankings, ADP, whatever. The word ADP can tilt some people to no end because, <laughs> you know, you, you go into some drafts and, you know, in those high, high-stake drafts, you almost throw ADP out the window. Go get your guys. And there's a lot to be said about that. At the same time, you use ADP to realize, okay, I don't need to jump four rounds, maybe jump two rounds for a guy, stuff like that. At least gives you a ballpark idea. How do you go about using ADP? Because I've heard it's been it's been a controversial topic of late. So when I do my um, like my, my main event team, if I do one or two, I'm not sure for sure I'll do at least one. 
when that comes around in late March, you know, a week or two before the season, I will mostly throw ADP out the window and take whoever I think is the, the most valuable player to add to my team at that draft spot. For now, where, you know, I've done four online championships, I've done, I don't know, nine or something draft champions. If I, if I drafted, if I completely threw ADP out the window and drafted strictly off of my own rankings, I would like draft the same team every time. <laughs> you know, what I mean? <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. That's why they're your guys. Because I have like Josh Donaldson as, uh, I, I don't know, like the 40th ranked uh, player, overall player. And so if I, if I truly drafted off my list, right, all 14 of my teams would have Josh Donaldson on them. Mm-hmm. But at that point, you know, if, you're, if you actually take them in the third or fourth round, then there's no surplus value there, right? Because that's where I think he's going to perform, where I hope he's going to perform. Um, and so if, if, you, if you take the player there, then you've, you've given up all the surplus value where you really get the value is when you get him at his, you know, 90th pick player ADP, because that's where you can really profit. It's, you know, really the, the draft theory for me is you're just trying to get as much profit on your picks as you can and the way to do that is to to get those players that you like as low as you can. So um, it kind of depends on how many teams you're drafting, I suppose, right? Like mm-hmm. you don't want to jump it too far because you kind of suck the value out of your picks at that point. But of course uh, you do want to get your guys. So it's uh, I don't think there's a, a exact science to that. I think that's kind of the art of the draft. What makes drafting so fun. Exactly. And it is an art. It's a true art. One art to drafting is KDS, Kentucky Derby style uh, hmm. draft picking of some sort. And it's an NFBC thing. Other places are trying to incorporate it, but for me, it's pretty much NFBC. And you you rank the draft order you want for those that don't know at home. But Pete, you said you do a lot of NFBC, a lot of high stakes. How do you approach it? Because, you know, right now it's, you know, you got Acuna, Trout, Yellick, whatever order you want. That's the big three. And then it gets interesting. So how do you approach Kentucky Derby style drafting or your picks? Yeah, so usually my setting is uh, I have my my number one choice that I want is three. Uh, and so I'll get one of those big three, right? Acuna, yep. Trout, Yelich. I have them all in my overall valuations extremely close to the point where they're essentially tied. Um, Eileen Acuna, because I I think Acuna has the most upside of the three. You know, he's telling Ozzy Albies he's going to go 50-50 this year. I, I don't think that will happen, but I'll take 40-40. Yeah, I mean, you know, Trout's not stealing 50 bases, let's be honest with with mm-hmm. ourselves here. So um, so then, you know, you, if you get the third pick, then you get a better pick, obviously, coming back in the second round. A slightly better pick, but a better pick nonetheless. Um, and then beyond that, I don't love taking pitchers early. So I don't really want the, you know, the fourth or the fifth pick. I, I don't love just because Cole goes there, and then uh, Mookie Betts was obviously going there too. But I've got Betts more of kind of a, a back end uh, first rounder at this point after the trade to the Dodgers. Um, I do like Cody Ballinger. So, you know, don't mind the, the fifth or sixth, but typically I like either the front or the back end of the draft in a 12 teamer. We're pretty much in, in a lockstep there. Um, I, three, three is my favorite, a three, two, one. Give me one of the big threes. And then I want this quicker pick to go back. Otherwise I want the other end. Give me like 10 through 12. Yeah. I've taken there. one of the, one of the short stops, you know, pick mm-hmm. nine, 10, 11, uh, Trey Turner, Trevor story, yep. Lindor. I've got all three of those guys super close together. Um, and I, I generally prefer players early on that can kind of contribute in, in all five categories. All five, and certainly yeah. all three of those guys fit that bill. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite starts is one of those three shortstop, like you said, all super similar, 
picking at straws type thing. Um, I like Trey Turner the most, but I like them all. And then I like to, if I could bring it back with J Ram or something, I'm giddy, very giddy. So yeah, you're just off to a fantastic start there. And then at that point, you know, you can like you've got all your bases covered in terms of steals and power, and you can kind of go any direction you want and kind of take your just favorite players uh, on the board available when, you know, if you, and obviously you need to get some pitching at some point, but I do think uh, getting some speed early uh, certainly kind of opens up your draft strategies. Yeah. Cause then you're not like, you're not victim to the draft. You're not like a slave to the draft where I have to start reaching for steals. And it's right. such a beautiful, it's such a beautiful thing. Now you can, you can take the best player available or the best player for your team without having to be like, oh, crap, I got to take Malik Smith now because I have no choice. Stuff yeah, like actually, that where it's garbage. <laughs> yeah, I did a uh, online championship 350 buy-in last night, and uh, I had the ninth pick, so typically, right, I'm going with the short stuff there. But the draft uh, kind of turned on its head a little bit, and Garrett Cole was available at nine. It's hard to pass on that at nine. I did. So I got my first year of Garrett Cole. Uh, yeah. came back around, and I, I didn't love what was there, and I'm super high on Walker Bueller, so I did take him at 16 so i did uh shout out to your boy batflip i did, did pull off the pocket aces strategy how, how did you feel by the end with that squad compared to your other squad where you didn't pocket ace yeah so it's the least favorite of the uh so i'm super high on jordan alvarez I, I, he's utility only which is a burden but uh I've got him projected to lead the baseball in home runs. I think he's a legitimate chance to go. I don't have him projected for this, but I mean, 55 home runs and 100 or 250 runs plus RBIs and a 300 batting average. All like I, I won't be at all surprised if he manages to pull that off. So I did take him in the third round at what is that pick, uh, like 33 or something like that. Um, but then I had. I have no speed, right? I literally have <laughs> like one one projected steal through three rounds. Uh, and so I was, had to chase speed. Like I had to take, you know, like Lorenzo Cain uh, later on as my first share of him, not super high on him. I took, I do like Danny Santana. I ended up taking him for some speed at first base. So yeah, I did, it did uh, kind of hamstring me a little bit that start to the draft. Yeah, it, it's weird. I, I've done a couple, you know, best balls and stuff and then some mocks and I did one mock because I don't trust my pocket aces strategy and I just it just finished and I'm sitting there going yeah I feel so much better drafting the other way it's just so much better with everything yeah once we got past like pick six or seven around six or seven rather I was kind of felt like I was chasing and Mm -hmm. felt like I was getting sniped more often maybe that was partly due to the room but um yeah no no question about it of the four online championships I've done so far uh, that's my least favorite roster (laughs) You mentioned Jordan Alvarez, and, you know, he's one of the ones that supposedly, because he's so new, was not a part of the scandal in Houston. <laughs> and I don't really care too much about if you believe in the scandal or not. That's a whole other story. But um, well, wait, wait, you, wait, 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 are there people that don't believe in the scandal? No, I mean, like, to how deep it went. Like, um, like to the effect, like, do you, you know, are they, you know, the people that yell, Oh, what's the big deal? They were better on the road. Like all these yeah, things. Yeah, yes. yeah. They, they cheated. There's no hiding the fact they cheated. Right. To what to what extent? That's still to be determined and maybe never will be. We don't know. Um, but when when you look at like Jordan and the rest of the crew, you were tweeting about it the other day, and it's a fun conversation because like I kind of said at the beginning of the podcast, you speak what's on your mind, which other people don't do. So you were very adamant on asking people why are they still taking them, even though 
we're starting to see them drop in the NFBC drafts. Not like rapidly, but they're starting to fall backwards slowly but surely. How are you approaching these guys in drafts? Because you took Jordan, but, you know, Altuve's falling, Springer, Bregman, all these guys that are usually perennially very good, but you might have it a value soon. Yeah, so Jordan, I'm not worried about him. Like, if you just watch this man hit, he's, like, from another planet, you know? Like, mm-hmm. just a 6'6", Adonis that just smashes 440-foot home runs to left center field on, like, low and away painted fastballs, you know, like – to me, he's just a, a different beast than the other the other guys, and obviously he hasn't been there for years. And he was just he did the same thing in the minors that he would, did when he got called up. So I kind of put him in my my own uh, category, I guess, when I'm looking at the Astros hitters. Like you mentioned, they are starting to fall. Uh, yesterday, I almost got George Springer pretty late. I, I, I would have taken him if you. I, I think I almost got him at like pick fifty, which is too far for me. Altuve, Bregman, Correa, all these guys fell pretty far. If they fall far enough, I, I will take them. But I am concerned. One, you know, I know people have kind of dug into, like, did, did it did it even help them? Like, they weren't um, they weren't any better at home than they were on the road. I'm not really buying that. Like, I, why would they do this if it, if it wasn't helping them for, like, yeah, multiple exactly. years? If you just look at it logically, if you take kind of a 5,000-foot view, I think it's very, very likely that it helped them. We don't know. They could have been cheating on the road, too, for all we know, right? There's more information mm-hmm. coming about coming out about this scandal uh, every day. So I, I think it's likely that they benefited. If you just look at the, you know, like guys like Bregman and El Tuve, to me, they, they don't look like superstar sluggers just watching them play. Uh, guys like Bregman, like his number one skill, I would say, is, is plate discipline like not chasing pitches outside of the zone, which, you know, if, if they were doing all this cheating, uh, you know, regularly, that's like the number one thing it would help them with. And then you get fastballs, right? Cause you don't chase pitches outside of the zone. Pitchers got to come in with a fastball and a two Oh count. And that's when a guy like Bregman who doesn't have a ton of raw power can, can do damage. So I do think it's justified that they are falling in drafts. Uh, and then, you know, I, I tweeted about this. I'm sure you saw the other day, like, I think these guys are going to get beamed all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. tons of pitchers are, are talking about how mad they are. You got, they're getting sued by a uh, former pitcher who they knocked out of the league. Um, yeah, I, I hate to break it to that former pitcher. It wasn't just them that knocked no, out of the league. No, it wasn't. But I'm, I'm, still, I'm still rooting for I think I'm not normally a fan of the frivolous lawsuit, but I kind of hope he wins. But <laughs> a, a, topic, a topic for another day perhaps. But, no, I mean, I, 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 mean, I think they're going to get drilled early and often. I I'll be surprised if there's not a broken hand or a wrist from, from one of these guys. Um, and then there's the mental aspect of it too, right? Like I don't like feel bad for them that they've got to answer all these questions and under all the scrutiny, but I think there's a, you know, a very realistic probability one or more of these guys could be kind of affected um, by just all the media scrutiny getting just booed in every single park uh, what happens if they get off to a slow start to the year? Then their whole career is going to be questioned, you know, in the media and, and by, yeah, just by reporters and, and fans and everyone else. So I think there's a lot, a lot of pressure on these Astros hitters. And um, I wouldn't expect all of them to fall off, but uh, I think there's a chance that it could affect, or you know, injury or performance could, could see some serious decline for uh, really the ones I'm worried about most are Altuve, Bregman, um, and I guess to some extent Correa, although he's not going super high anywhere. 
Yeah, it's just a weird dynamic because I agree these pitchers are are pissed off. They're they are not happy. Andrew Heaney's quotes the other days, you know, usually these guys sit at the locker and try to keep the four letter words down. Oh, his whole thing was laced in four letter words. Yeah. I was actually happy to see it, to tell you the truth. But um, you have to wonder what MLB is going to do because they're not stupid. They're not not seeing this. They realize that regardless of they, – they've kind of been complicit in this thing as well. They 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 have to protect the Astros to some extent. So they're going to be putting warnings out. For sure. So it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out because you're right. It just takes one broken wrist and there goes everything. But to, to take it back to what you said almost at the beginning of that – Everyone's got a price, and like Altuve's gone as low as fifty-four. And if you have right now, Johnny VR is going three picks below before Altuve. I'm probably taking Altuve over Johnny VR most times. It's just, yeah. it's a weird dynamic right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, kind of out on on Johnny VR. So yeah, I'm with you there. And like, yeah, if they fall far enough, I think it's you kind of just got to swoop them up and hope. I actually think I haven't done this yet. I don't know if I'll draft enough teams to do this, but if they keep falling far enough, I might. Try to draft like an all Astros team. I was about to say just all like you know we're gonna prove you wrong team. Yeah, because one like we don't know for sure that it's gonna that. I mean, again, I think they'll be being more often. I think there's higher injury risk. I think there's higher performance risk. But there's certainly a, a world where they just kind of do what they've done and always and, and are the best offense in baseball. And then you also get like the correlation, right? Because if, if you invest heavily in, in one of the best offenses in baseball, like all the players are gonna perform better. So. I, I kind of see a scenario where it's they're like kind of unaffected by all of this and they're the same hitters they were, or a lot of them, or, you know, most of them take a drop in performance. So I kind of like the gamble on one team, you know, maybe in an auction where you can literally get whatever players you want. Maybe you find yourself in an auction where these players are all undervalued. You swoop them all up and you hope for the best. Yeah. That's a good point in the auction because if, if there's a lot of people in that room, that are, you know, concerned about what, you know, their health or just overall production. I think you could probably get a lot of values on these and make things really interesting going forward. Um, you said you've done a story too, if it, if it totally busted and you'd be like, yeah, and they're one year I drafted the entire Astros team and it just got last place. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That'd be funny. Uh, You mentioned you've done about uh, 10, 12 drafts, give or take so far. What's a couple guys that you find yourself, grabbing in a lot of spots basically that you might be able to label as your guys right now yeah so the draft champions are a little bit of a different beast just because of you know it's a draft and hold so you kind of need more steady players but yeah overall uh my highest owned player so far is Cattell Marte I've got him on three of my four uh, online championships and I think like six of ten uh, draft champions something like that most of my team's um, but yeah, I mean, the breakout year last year, I think some people are suspicious on whether or not he can maintain that, but I don't see anything in the profile that would suggest he couldn't, uh, hits the ball really hard, great athlete, good sprint speed, uh, great plate discipline, doesn't chase pitches, makes great contact in the zones. Like, like I haven't graded out. It's just, I have like a, a kind of, it's kind of a plate discipline plus batted ball metric, uh, formula. And he, he's way, way up there in that one. I just think he's a really, really good hitter who is young in his prime. He's fast. He can steal some bases. Their lineup is improved. Uh, I love the second base outfield eligibility. Second base, kind of a tough position to fill. So I find myself, uh, you know, anytime in the late third, fourth round when Kettle Marte is there, he's one of those guys I have trouble passing up on. 
Yeah, I like that a lot. Cattell's a very interesting player. He's he's more polarizing this year than I thought because there's still people holding on to his back issues towards the end of last year. But I'm with you. People forget also that he was a top prospect at one point in time. And he's kind of just grown into his his, uh, his power form of yeah. late. So I think there's a lot to like there. And now power-speed combos, we've said steals how many times on this podcast. And it, he's just a guy that drives it home for you at a rather short position at second base. So uh, there, there's a lot to like there. I don't mind Cattell Marte at all. Uh, who, what, what's another guy that you have in a lot of places? Uh, Mitch Garver, by far my highest Ooh, I'm catcher. curious about this. Enlighten me. Yeah, so he obviously had the kind of the breakout out of nowhere last year as well. Another guy I ended up having on most of my teams because he kind of broke out out of nowhere. But, again, another guy that you just look at the, the metrics uh, – I see a guy that's going to repeat or perhaps uh, over, or, you know, perform better than he did even last year. I mean, this dude hit 31 home runs in what was it like under 400 plate appearances? I think 390 plate appearances. Um, great discipline. Uh, again, incredible plate discipline. He just kills fastballs. He doesn't chase pitches. Uh, he's in that Twins lineup that, uh, you know, they set the home run record last year. I could see them breaking that this year, depending on what we see out of the baseball, uh, a super deep lineup. He leads off against lefties, a thing I think we'll continue to see based on just how good he was against Southpaws last year. And I think he's going to play a lot more. They let Jason Castro go, who was actually pretty damn good for them last year. Uh, hit right-handers really well and is a good defensive catcher as well. They replaced him with Alex uh, Avila, who, you know, kind of on his last legs, kind of a more of a defensive guy. Um, I do think, you know, Garver's not going to play as much as, uh, you know, a Real Mudo or a, a Gary Sanchez, but I do think you'll see Garver with a significant uptick in playing time, uh, hitting at, or, uh, you know, I guess right-handers will probably hit seventh or something like that, but I think he's going to mash again. I mean, I've got him projected for well over 30 home runs. Um, I think he could potentially, yeah, something would have to happen to Nelson Cruz, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, first base or, or DH, like I think he's a good enough hitter to crack those spots if something would happen to some of the other twin stud hitters. So very high on the, the twins offense this year. I was last year too, but I don't see them taking a step back and uh, I think Garver's going to have another great season. Yeah. The Bomba squad is going to keep going wild and, you know, between DFS and season long, they're going to be beautiful. The, the question I have with Garver is the playing time. Like I agree that he's, he should have continued to mash uh, Avila not a bad defensive catcher, so that yeah, I he's he'll think. play a significant amount. I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah, I think I think that's the biggest thing. And, and last year with Garver, he was able to play DH in first, but the Donaldson playing first base now makes it a little interesting for me. I, I'm imagining, like you said, if he's hitting the way he's hitting, they're going to find a way to get his bat in the lineup. They're not crazy, but at the same time, Balbelli loves his uh, his advanced stats, so um, we'll have to see how that plays out. If I knew for a fact he'd play, you know. 130 games or so I'd be all in just there's some slight concern there but we'll see if he plays like you're saying he's gonna mash there's no question he did miss some time due to injury last year I think he missed about a month uh got knocked over at the plate or slid into at the plate can't remember exactly what it was but yeah we'll see um a catcher for me like if you if you know if you wait too long catch like some of these guys are like almost like actively hurting you yeah, with low true. batting averages, and so I, I do like to get a decent catcher, especially in you know NFBPC. You got to play two of them, so I do think you know the position scarcity makes Garver uh, kind of like Real Moto, where kind of kind of shoots up my board a little bit. Do you try to get two studs, or do you want at least one stud and one of the okay guys? Um, 
I like to get at least one good guy. So I've got I've got catcher rankings as value. I've got Rio Mudo number one by a good margin. And I do have Garver ahead of both Grandall and Sanchez. And he's being drafted, you know, 30, 35 picks behind those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of hard for me to pass them up, right? I see Grandall and Sanchez go, and I've actually got Garver ahead. And then so when he comes up a round or two later, I uh, usually pull the trigger there. But, yeah, other than – I mean, I, I don't have a problem with even waiting to the very end on catcher and kind of streaming that position because – you know, we did see even last year, like Garver kind of came out of nowhere. Christian Vasquez came out of nowhere. Um, so there are catchers, I think, that will pop up throughout the year. Yeah, there's a lot of guys that come out of nowhere. And then we've also seen it's almost like relievers. There's a ton of like not completely 50-50 platoons, but a lot of like 65-35, yep. uh, 60-40 type deals where if you're streaming it right, you can get some good runs for sure. Yeah, no doubt. Um, give me one last guy that you got everywhere. Uh, it's kind of weird because he plays the same position, but Ozzy Albies, um, second base like for the Braves, obviously. So I have a lot of him and Cattell Marte. Cattell, you can slide to the outfield. You've obviously got the the middle infield position too, so I don't worry too much about it. Um, so yeah, Albies a guy. You know, a lot of my favorite hitters are kind of the the five category guys that aren't like Cattell Marte and Albies aren't you know huge studs in one category, but they're gonna not hurt you anywhere and kind of give you uh, production at all five, which I find to be more valuable, at least for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you just look at what Albie's done, interestingly, you know, his, his stats were better certainly last year than they were in 2018, but a lot of the underlying metrics, he didn't, he didn't really improve all that much, but he's a player for me. Like if I, if you just, if you watch him play, I don't know how much baseball you actually watch. I watch <laughs> too much watch baseball myself. Yeah, I watch a ton. I'm with you. Yeah. Like the talent just oozes through with Ozzy Albies, right? Like this is, mm-hmm. He's 23 years old. He, he put up these numbers, you know, uh, over league average, overall production, speed, power, as a 21 and 22-year-old uh, in the big league level, 158 and 160 games. He's got a, a proven track record of health. And I know that could, can be a thing that can come and go, but, like, there hasn't even been any, like, questions about his health. You know, like, nothing has ever even popped up in these last two years. I think he's going to hit second every single day in that lineup between Acuna and Freeman. And obviously you've got Azuna hitting cleanup who I also really, really like. Um, and then the, the steals I feel like could come, right? So last two years, Albies 14 steals in 2018, 15 steals in 2019, but really efficient. I don't have the numbers exactly in front of me, but I think he was only caught, you know, between like one and three times in each of those two years. So he's been efficient stealing, we know the Braves will run, right? Like Ronald Acuna almost stole 40 bases last year. He says he's going to steal 50. Freddie Freeman even runs. We've seen the Dansby Swanson will steal. Enciarte will steal. So the Braves aren't scared to run. And we know Albies is fast. You can look up his stat cast sprint speed metrics, and you can see it right there. You just watch the guy play. He's clearly got great baseball instincts. So you can't project him for really more than, you know, 17, 18 steals. Um, but, you know, I do – I do kind of like my median projections, which is where it's basically like an over under, right? Where I wouldn't know what to take the over or under on this number. For me, that would be like 16 and a half steals for all these. But I also do 90th percentile projections, kind of the upside projections. And for me, that could be like 30 steals for all these, right? There's no reason he couldn't steal 30 bases. So he's the type of guy where uh, I see a, just a tremendous floor um, where he's being drafted. And then 
I, I see a ceiling too, because this guy is just, he's just a fantastic young baseball player who, I don't know, like he could just kind of out of nowhere, take a huge step forward. I like the Albies call a lot. He's a, on a good team, very good, young, talented player. You mentioned his steals. He was 15 of 19 last year, 14 of 17 the year before. If you combine his minor league numbers previously, he had 29, um, 30, and 29 in three straight seasons from right. 15 to 17. So the steals are, are very, very much in play there. So I like that quite a bit. Uh, a couple guys that I've talked about a ton on this show before that I have everywhere. Uh, one would be Kyle Schwarber. I'm going to be stuck on him. I think he's going way too cheap right now. Uh, he's been climbing up of late, but the power uh, gains he showed last year, the just the he's not a threat to, to lose playing time because of defense. I'm, I'm a big fan of what, what Schwarber's got going on there. And then just two pitchers I have everywhere. And I'm kind of curious your thoughts on these two, because if you're, you wait, like I do, Eduardo Rodriguez and Max Fried find their way onto a lot of my rosters. And they're kind of pitch mix guys in the second half and really put it together. Erod's got the, um, the every now and then health issues. There's, there's no doubt about that, but Max Fried, uh, power sinker and just really, really limits the hard contact with that pitch mix change. I liked what I saw there. So I'm not sure if you have any thoughts on those three players. Those are the three that I have a ton of. Yeah. And on Schwarber, um, I think people, you know, he's been around what three full years and even uh, in 2015, he even got, you know, 70 games played with the, with the big league club. I kind of think people have almost like soured on him a little bit. Like you mentioned, I think he's just going too cheap for what he can provide. He's improved his defense a little bit over the years. Uh, he's learned to hit lefties a little bit uh, over the years. And I, like you said, I think he should get the full-time playing time. The power is not in question. Uh, we've seen the, you know, the WRC plus, just the overall kind of offensive profile improve each of the last three seasons. Strikeout percentage, you know, 31 in 2017, 27 in 2018, and 25 last year. So he's improving in the plate discipline metrics as well. Um, and the power is just super legit with, with Schwarber. So I really like that call. Definitely in on Max Fried, another guy that, uh, you know, kind of incorporated that slider more often uh, toward the end of last year. And, you know, you just watch Fried pitch, right? He's got a good fastball, a good confident fastball, four-seamer, that big curve, kind of almost a, a Barry Zito-esque type curveball. And then if he gets a slider going like it seems like he can, uh, yeah, I could see the breakout for, for Max Fried for sure. Uh, Eduardo, I'm kind of kind of lukewarm on. I think I have him on one or two teams so far. Not a target of mine, but a guy I'm certainly willing to take if he falls far enough. Yeah, he's, I'd rather have Freed over Erod for sure, but both yep. both intrigue me quite a bit. I have a few others that intrigue me, but those two I somehow end up with. They're going about the same time. If you have one of the end picks like we talked about, you kind of wait on pitching, you can almost double tap them. And uh, if they both pan to the, they're, you know, you're talking 90 percentile, these guys could skyrocket up things, so – for sure. uh, I'm a, b- a big fan of those. Uh, the last segment on the show, this is more just a fun kind of tongue-in-cheek thing because I-, I appreciate how much you troll and how well you do it. Fantasy players have actual ball players that troll them year in and year out. If it's draft season, if it's you add them because you believe in them, they let you down. It happens all the time. Uh, we'll go through – we'll get like Twitter answers. I'll get your thoughts on on some of these guys that the, the people online were talking about. But just in general – are there any players off the top of your head that you just, you know, you always find your way coming back to, even though you know it's a bad idea? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Kyle Gibson, uh, <laughs> our friend Weatherwax mentioned him. He's, he's one for me too. Colin and I have been in a couple uh, drafts together and it's always a, a race to see who can get the, uh, 
a dumpster fire of Kyle Gibson on our team late, <laughs> late in an auction or late in a draft. Um, he's one of my highest owned players this year too uh, with the Rangers. He's so cheap. He's so cheap. Uh, I have him as like the basically the unluckiest pitcher from last year. He's you know I've talked about my kind of custom pitcher rankings and. It's like embarrassing how much that system likes Kyle Gibson. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to say like, he's ranked among the aces because you'll probably just disregard everything I said over this last hour. But yeah, I lost Kyle Gibson, so I'll, I'll stick with him for another year. I'll, I will say this: Gibson has one of the very best sliders in baseball, and also a changeup that gets a ton of whiffs. And if you compare him to uh, players that have a similarly effective slider or changeup, he throws the pitch far less often than, than all of those pitchers do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he threw his, his slider, like something like 12% of the time against, uh, against righties last year. Um, and like, he should be <laughs> like 30% of the time. It's not like he'll get chased on it. They'll swing at it. He can't get his fastball by anybody. And he just throws the fastball way, way too often. Um, so I do think there's kind of a clear path there for me. Like maybe the Rangers, you know, he'll, he'll be one to watch early on. Cause if he, if he upsets slider percentage significantly from what it's been in the past, same thing with the changeup, I do think you'll see much better results from Kyle Gibson. Um, so yeah, that, that's Kyle Gibson. Who's one of yours? Uh, mine would be Byron Buxton. I, oh, I, yeah. I haven't drafted him yet this year, but it's like I always, I'm always tempted. Yes. I always go into the season going, okay, I'm not going to do it. Not going to do it. And then you go back and you look at his stats and you imagine what if he didn't get hurt? What would have happened type thing? And it's just, you know, full tilt there because he was outstanding last year before he got hurt. Like really probably the best overall stat cast package we've seen from him in a long time. So it's 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 really tough there. He's one of those guys in a world where stolen bases is so hard to come by. He literally has 25 to 30 stolen base upside if he oh, goes out. They're not going to tell him not to run. Yeah, he's, so, the, the Twins are really against running, but he's the one guy they will let go. Yeah, he's the one guy that can go. He's going to score a million runs in that offense if he can play. It's just, can he play? So Byron Buxton is one, but I know I'm not the only one that feels the sentiments there. Uh, do you have anybody else? Yeah, Trevor Bauer is on this list, which uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't feel I, given my own uh, Twitter activities, I don't think I should be calling anyone else a troll, but – Trevor Bauer trolled me last year. I was super high on him. Had some bets in on him to win the Cy Young Award. His arsenal of stuff is just just nasty. Um, mm-hmm. You know, five-pitch mix. And obviously had a rough year last year. I had him on a ton of teams. Uh, he actually has me blocked on Twitter, which deservedly so. I, I was frustrated <laughs> with, with Trevor Bauer and came at him one time. So, um, so yeah, one of my favorite pitchers has me blocked on Twitter. That's my life for you. Uh, so, yeah, he's, he's certainly pretty high on the list. And I'm back in this year, though, going around pick 80. Yeah, give me some more Trevor Bauer. Yeah, he's one of those guys that if he pans out, it's way higher than that pick. Uh, the other guy for me before the listener part is Chris Archer. He's uh, Last year was really bad, like really bad. He hit peak of oh, crap moments. But the things he does, one thing I really like, especially after I have my aces and I'm looking at later round guys, we saw the pitch mix change last year. He finished the season very strong. I was very promising there. He he even flat out said, I started throwing like I did in Tampa Bay. And I'm thinking, what the hell were you doing the whole time before that? But uh, that tells you a team-by-team basis there. But the thing that always sucks me in with Chris Archer is as bad as he is, uh, if ERAs and all that stuff, he still strikes out everybody. He gets you all the strikeouts, and he's got that put-away stuff. And before the last two years, 
he threw a ton of innings. He had over 200 innings for three straight years, 194 for four straight. So the durability, you know, it hasn't been in the last couple. Still can give you maybe 160, 170, which in this era, not too shabby. So he's a guy that, you know, keeps I keep finding my way to him because he's so cheap now. But Archer would be a troll of mine as well. I have uh, I have Archer on three of my four online championship teams, so I'm right with you. He's so cheap. Um, let me just get, like, literally quick hitters for you here. We'll go through these. Uh, Yamizis asks, or he, his troll is Lance Lynn. And I think a lot of it has to do with he finally came through last year. So uh, what's your thoughts on Lynn real quick? I'm kind of kind of in on him a little bit this year. Um, you know, started elevating that fastball and, man, the, the fastball metrics for him. I mean, he had like the second best, second most effective four-seamer after Garrett Cole last year. I don't really see a reason why he couldn't do that again. Also gets, a, you know, certainly a park upgrade going from uh, the outdoor ballpark in Arlington to what is it, Globe Life? Now, I don't, I can't remember what the names of the parks are, but whatever, playing indoors more often. So, yeah, kind of, I did not see the the breakout coming for Lance Lynn last year, but I do kind of buy it, and uh, I'll have a share or two this year for sure. Yep, I, I like him as well. I'll go back in on him, what he, what he did last year. Big believer there, and again, it goes back to Kyle Gibson. If they can do that with Lance Lynn, give me all the Kyle Gibson too. So, yep, big big fan of that. Uh, Guilds says David Price. I like this one because when Price is out there, he's darn good, but he either gets hurt or he faces the Yankees and he hurts you. So, going to LA should be quite promising. Uh, any thoughts on Price? Yeah, I actually don't have any David Price yet. Uh, I had no interest with him on the Red Sox, like you mentioned. He just gets killed by the Yankees. He just seems like not the type of guy to be that would perform the best in that kind of pressure cooker in Boston, right? And it's not like it's not like the Dodgers are some you know overlooked organization, but I kind of like it for David Price. I mean, we've seen Dodger pitchers, whoever it is, you know, they they just kind of return value pitching out in uh, Chavez Ravine. Um, so yeah, I could see I could see David Price uh, turning in kind of a somewhat of a vintage season. So I get it, and you don't have to worry about the Yankees. Yeah, and he's going to miss a little time. Just look for like 160 good innings. That's all you have to worry sure, about. Yeah. Uh, Carlos Correa, Boston underscore Mo. Carlos Correa, I think he's tilted everybody because you look at his stat cast page and what he could be, but then he never stays on the field. He's only 25 years old, which is bananas to think about. Um, any thoughts on Correa? Yeah, I've been out on Correa. I don't. I can't remember if I've ever really had him on any teams. Um like who gets hurt on a massage? Who gets hurt from a massage? Really? Yeah, I know. I'm wondering if that was actually a massage. I don't know. Oh, it wasn't a massage. It was a <laughs> um, it was a Robert Kraft massage. Is what that? Was. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, like it's just so many weird injuries, and the the back thing, right? For such a young player, is is concerning. Like it certainly doesn't seem like he's ever just going to put together a fully healthy season. You never know for sure. But yeah, I've been out on Carlos Correa, and um, don't have any yet so far. I'm imagining it's going to stay that way for me. <laughs> Uh, good old Matty Wood, Matt Davis asked, or his guy is John Gray. And my only answer for uh, Matt would be never Colorado. But you were a Herman Marquez <laughs> believer. So I should have mentioned him in the stroke players. No, yeah. yeah, he got you good. Yeah, he did. Uh, made me look a fool, that, that Herman Marquez. But we're back in at pick 180 this year. And we're in on John Gray, too. Pick 250 for John Gray. Come on, give me a break. This guy has a ton of talent. He does have the arsenal to survive Coors Field, right? I think to, to, to survive, like it's no one can really thrive there. I've, I've kind yeah. of come around to that line of thinking, but to survive there, you know, you need a good fastball that you can throw past people. Cause the fastball is the kind of the pitch that's not affected by that thin air out here in Denver. 
uh, and then like a power slider because the big curveball just it'll hang. It doesn't have the same movement in Colorado, and and Gray doesn't have that type of arsenal. So I do think if, if you look, even if you look at his career numbers, he hasn't been too bad in Coors Field. So yeah, Matty Wood, uh, my guy, I'm I'm back in on John Gray this year for sure. Yeah, the 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 home numbers are actually pretty impressive with John Gray because he's one of the few guys when you look at it, he's almost beat if you can consider it beating Coors. So you're right there; it's pretty impressive. Um, Yancey Eaton, friend of the show, his is Delino DeShields Jr. And this kind of brings us back, I think, to Gerard Dyson, Malik Smith. People used to draft Delino because he's going to run like crazy, but he never kept his job. Now he's in Cleveland. Any thoughts on Delino? I was mildly interested until they signed Domingo Santana. Um, yeah. So I don't, I don't see, he's one of those guys, you know, we talked about Jared Dyson at the top of the show where you might end up with 25 or 30 steals. Um, but how many of them are actually going to be in your lineup? How often are you actually going to feel confident rolling out Delano to shields in one of your five outfielder spots? So um, yeah, probably not going there. And uh, yeah, Yancey, um, I don't know if I ever start my own podcast. I know I'll at least have one listener, right? Yes. Yancey listens to every podcast. He's uh, a, <laughs> yeah, he's been here since day one. It's been pretty impressive yeah. to, to, to be able to pull that one off. Uh, the last one is not really an issue for this season because I don't think Jay Bruce is employed. Unless he is, he's hiding somewhere. Um, but Adam Moffitt mentions, and it's so true, he's like the every other month guy. So yeah. any thoughts on Jay Bruce? Yeah, as far as I know, I don't, I don't know what's going on with Jay Bruce right now. Um, but, uh, I mean, he's super streaky, right? You would you would think a player like that would be almost have more value because you can kind of play him when he, when he gets going and say when he's not. The problem is, I'm sure this is what, what Adam Moffat is referring to is you're always kind of chasing, right? He has the big week on your bench and then you, you put him in there and he, you know, goes over 20 with, with 12 strikeouts because he's just such a streaky player. So yeah, Bruce, one of those guys, you know, you chase the streaks to some extent. And I also think you got to chase like some of these big power hitters. You really want them when they're facing a, a bad pitching staff, right? Cause they're going to get eaten alive by the the good strikeout flamethrowers you know, they go into Baltimore, maybe get a couple home runs out of them. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, I totally agree with you there. Good old Baltimore. They assigned Tommy Malone. It's going to be freaking glorious. Um, <laughs> but that'll wrap us up on the episode. It's been a great one. Why don't you plug away where they can find you and what work you got going over there at Guru Elite? Yeah, I'm at uh, Elite Fantasy. I'll be doing uh, DFS stuff over there at the start of the season. And then our kind of sister site, the season-long site, is Fantasy Guru. Uh, that's where Vlad previously mentioned Vlad uh, does a lot of his work. We've got a lot of good stuff, season long strategy stuff over there. Uh, not a ton from me there yet, but perhaps some stuff coming up and then uh, maybe throughout the season as well. And then, uh, yeah, hopefully kind of do some, doing some podcasting and maybe starting up my own soon. So uh, pay attention to that if you're interested. Awesome. But yeah, uh, Pete's a very, very, very intelligent fantasy player. So I hope you guys, uh, enjoyed the show, and I'm assuming you follow him if you're listening to the show. But uh, go check out what he has to do, and I hope they give you some season-long work. So it'll be fun to kind of get you crossing over back and forth and doing all that work. But, uh, Pete, thanks for joining me, man. Great time today. Yeah, thanks, Bubba. No problem, everybody. This is Bench with Bubba, episode 246 with Draft Cheat. Have a good one.
Hey there, I'm Brandon Gelly from the Always Cheating Podcast, co-hosted with my friend Josh Landon. In case you didn't know, the show you're listening to right now, as well as my show, is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. What is Blue Wire? Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. Today, Blue Wire has grown to feature 300 shows led by former athletes, media professionals, and passionate fans. And over the past few years, Blue Wire has privately raised more than $10 million to expand their team, their podcast network, and their business operations. Now they're raising another round on WeFunder. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. And it's a cool platform that gives everyone the opportunity to be a part of a growing startup. You can invest as little as $100. In other words, you don't have to be a millionaire to invest in cool companies on WeFunder. BlueWire is raising money to expand their sales team and improve operations, which will in turn help this show continue to grow. So if you'd like to be a part of the Blue Wire investment round or want to find out more information, visit wefunder.com slash bluewire.